real companies make money. There's some of these large unicorns. They're worth a lot of money, but they don't make any money. You know, Tesla and, and, and Uber and, and, and Lyft and these companies don't make money. So to me, to be an ongoing business, you have to be profitable. The companies that, that I think are real companies do make money. They're profitable uh, because that's how you sustain yourself. We stand today. The Business Method the business with method. a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars and annual revenue and now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results economies and cultures there's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method building a successful business requires focus on one important thing profit Today's guest is a master at focusing on profit. Ray Zen is the longest running CEO from the Silicon Valley, running a company for 37 years, and 36 of those years, his company, Micro, was profitable. This isn't the only astounding fact about Ray. In 1994, Ray went legally blind during Micro's IPO on the stock market. He was torn on what to do, but ultimately decided to continue to run the company for another 18 years. Throughout the show, we get to hear Ray's story about building and running a company in Silicon Valley for almost four decades. We talk to Ray about his challenges being an influencer, how he prioritizes time, and what he's up to today with his newest project, Zen Starter. Without further ado, let's welcome Ray to the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, I'm really excited to welcome Ray Zinn to the podcast. Ray, thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to have you on the show. How are you? Thanks, Chris. Well, glad to be here. I'm glad you're on the show. And we just got into a nice conversation before we hit the record button about you and speaking multiple languages or picking up multiple languages throughout the years. And how many would you say you could converse in? Well, I mean, I can, I, I'm fluent in Spanish uh, and I can speak German, French, uh, Italian, uh, Tagalog, some Portuguese, uh, uh, Arabic, uh, Vietnamese, uh, Japanese, um, so just Chinese. So I just uh, I have some Farsi. So I can I can just kind of oh and and, and all and most of the Polynesian languages. Now you uh, mentioned Swan, one Italian. one language in there, Tagalog. Can you tell the listeners where that's from? From the Philippines. That's the that's Philippines. the national language of the Philippine Islands. What's the secret to picking up so many languages? Uh, it's not so much a secret <laughs> as it is a. It's, it has to be like a, a desire, like a talent. You know, you know, what's the secret to playing guitar? Well, it's not a secret. It's just something you acquire because you enjoy playing the guitar. 
uh, and so as, as uh, uh, I think it's, uh, uh, I remember the, the, the poet that said, that which you persist in doing becomes easier, not that the nature of the test has changed, but your ability to perform it is better and easier. And so that's Emerson, sorry, as, as Walter Emerson said that. <clears throat> and so that which you persist in doing becomes easier. And, 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 and so persisting in something is, is the key. And so what I like is uh, the concept as an influencer is to be able to talk to people in their language. And, uh, and, and it, that establishes a relationship because we are multinational now as a, as a world. You know, we're no longer just the U.S. or, or, or Germany or England, but we're, we're, we're multinational. The, the world has gotten smaller because of the Internet. So were you doing business with uh, people in these countries that, that gave you the motivation to, to learn a bit of their language? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I, for example, we didn't, we didn't do any business in Samoa or, or, or Tonga. Uh, but I just, you know, because of the, the, a lot of, of those uh, Polynesians in the Bay Area, that's, I, I just kind of picked it up, uh, you know, talking to them and, 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 People like you to take interest in them, uh, and so you know, people can tell if you're if you're self-centered or if you're truly interested in other people, and and that's how uh, I think influencers really have that advantage, is is they really sh show more interest in others. You know, you have uh, two ears and a mouth, uh, and you should use them proportionally. So listening, you learn more than than talking. So I found that. Uh, my best uh, way to influence is, is by listening and then smiling and, and, and being agreeable and, and uh, showing interest in, in, in others. That, that's how I found uh, that I've been able to be a, a, an effective influencer. Where do you think you, you pick that up? Is that something you're, you were taught as a young man or is that something you picked up along the way as an entrepreneur? Uh, I think it's a combination. Uh, I'm the oldest of 11 children. And so, you know, you're, when you're influencing your siblings, as you would, uh, you know, there's some technique there. And I was put in charge a lot because being the oldest. Uh, and so it was natural then, you know, when I got into business and started my own company, uh, that was, I'm, I'm kind of a, the leader of a larger family, as you would. So, I just considered my employees like family and treated them like a family. Um, and even though they weren't blood related, we could say they were adopted. Okay. So I adopted them into my company. Excellent. So, so Ray, I know you've done quite a few amazing things throughout your career and probably too many to list, but a few of them, you know, you're the longest serving CEO in Silicon Valley. Um, you actually went legally blind once when you were going through an IPO, I believe, if that's correct. And uh, you have multiple inventions that have helped the tech technology industry and written a couple books. And, um, and then you have a, a startup school that you're uh, running now. So uh, we want to rewind a little bit and just kind of get the backstory, Ray, about who you are and how you developed into the entrepreneur that you are today. Well, it, it kind of, as you mentioned earlier, it kind of begins early in life. Uh, uh, my dad was an independent businessman. 
uh, he ran a cattle business. And so I was raised as you would on a cattle ranch. Um, and so it, it started kind of from there having to take responsibility for certain tasks around the ranch. Uh, and then, um, I graduated, uh, uh, in 1960 with my undergraduate degree in engineering, uh, joined the semiconductor industry in 1963. Uh, and then um, a series of events happened uh, uh, at late in the, well, mid uh, seven, 1970s. I was working for a company designing uh, uh, equipment for the semiconductor, semiconductor industry. And I invented a piece of equipment referred to as a wafer stepper. Uh, which is a photographic uh, system to image uh, the circuit onto a silicon wafer. And it was way before its time. It was, uh, you know, at least 10 or 11 years before the, the industry actually needed it. But that's how a lot of things uh, get started is they, ha they, they happen before they, they're needed, as you would. Uh, so I was kind of out there thinking outside the box, as you would. And it kind of upset my. My boss, I mean, he wanted to get into TI, Texas Instruments, and, and so that's why he pursued developing the, the stepper. Uh, but um, it, it caused a lot of havoc within the company because it was a very major undertaking without an immediate reward. In other words, there was no you know, huge uh, volume of, of that product that we could do. As I mentioned, it was probably 10 years or so before its time. Uh, and uh, so he took me to lunch one day and said, you know, you don't really fit into a corporate culture. Uh, why don't you go out and start your own company? Just be your own boss. And so I went home. I flew back from Burbank, California to my home in the Bay Area and uh, told my wife that I was not going to work for anybody ever again. And uh, that was in 1976. Uh, and so from that point on, I, I've only you know, work for myself as you would, or, or had, had my own business. Uh, so, um, you know, I flopped around trying to figure out what I was going to do. I didn't have any grand, um, ideas. It was just, you know, should I go into this or should I go into that? And then finally ended up in 1978 through a series of uh, coincidences, uh, deciding to get back into the semiconductor industry, but by starting my own company. And, uh, and, and I didn't want to do it with venture money because I wanted to own the company. I wanted to be able to, to dictate the, the outcome. I didn't want the venture capitalists telling me, you know, how they wanted me to run the company and what they wanted me to do. And that's kind of the nature of, of venture capital is they, 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 they're usually a five-year you know, window and uh, they want to get in and out. And I wanted to build an enduring company, one that would last through the, through the centuries. <laughs> that was my thinking at the time. And so I wanted to, to own the company. So to do that, that meant I had to go seek other ways of financing the company, which I did through bank debt. So I raised $300,000 to the bank and then put up 300,000 of our own money, myself and my partner, and uh, started uh, my Krell in November 78. Um, but with bank debt now, that, that's a different story because you have to be profitable. Banks don't want a loan to non-profitable companies. So, uh, if you're a startup, it's, people think it's an oxymoron uh, to say, well, you'll be profitable. And that's why banks don't typically fund startups because they can't service the bank debt. Uh, so I had to change my business plan such that I could be a, have, have a profitable business 
at the same time being a startup, which is, I know sounds strange, but that's kind of the, the nature of, of uh, being bank funded and being a startup. Um, I had to figure a way to run the company profitably. Now, that wasn't my thinking in the beginning. I was going to just start this company uh, making semiconductor kind of products, um, but that would require a huge investment. Typically in our industry, for example, uh, to start a semiconductor company building products right off the bat, um, you're going to have to raise somewhere between 20 and $50 million back in, in, that, in those days. So the, the, the um, uh, thought of having to come up with, you know, at least $20 million was just out of the question for me. Uh, and so I had to rethink how to start a semiconductor company without raising you know, $20 million, or at least $20 million. Uh, and I would say the average for our industry is 50 to 60 million. It's probably been the average over the last uh, uh, 50 years to start a, a semiconductor company. Uh, and so here I am trying to start a semiconductor company with, with basically $300,000 of my own money, plus the bank debt, 300,000. We did it. Uh, we were profitable the first year. Um, and then, <clears throat> In 1985, we had enough money, good cash flow, that we could actually start designing our own products. And then I hired a team of designers, and we started designing products. Um, uh, and so, <clears throat> while it's not easy to do it that way, or maybe it's not easy to do it anyway. But in, uh, while it's not easy to do to do it with bank debt, at least I could own the company. And then in, in 1994, we uh, took the company public on Nasdaq. Um, and then in 2015, August of 2015, uh, because the board wanted to, it was merger mania going on. They wanted to sell the company. Um, I ended up selling the company. Not that I wanted to, I just, that's, but that's what the board decided to do. Uh, we sold the company in, in 2015. <clears throat> so after that, uh, you know, I had already started writing my book, Tough Things First. Um, I just went on the roads trying to sell a book and, working with universities and seeing what I could do to, to um, give back, as they say. And, and so that started me on my, my venture of, um, of really working with students, helping them learn how to be entrepreneurs. And that's what prompted the starting of, of this little a business of mine called Zinstarter, Z-I-N-N, capital S-T-A-R-T-E-R, which is kind of like a Kickstarter for universities. Um, and that, uh, program uh, is where I uh, fund the university to um, uh, run projects. In other words, help these students learn how to run a company before they have to get out on, on their own and run a company. So you had to be a full-time student uh, and then uh, <clears throat> you had to have a, a good idea that the, the school and the board, the little student board would, would approve. And then my uh, little seed money would help start that fund that startup or that uh, business and and then the students would run it uh, at least during their their time they were in school ray so we mentioned that you were silicon valley's longest serving ceo uh how many years were you serving as a ceo 37, 37. And, we were and we were profitable 36 out of 37 which is a record for our industry i mean and no one has ever achieved that before or since uh, so, um, you know, we, uh, we took the company, uh, 
you know, public in 84 and, and then ran it profitably through uh, uh, 2015 when I sold it with only one year that I had, we had a small loss of $50,000 when we were shutting down a, uh, one of our facilities. Uh, we had to take a write-off and that write-off uh, cost us $50,000. So, you know, for, for a business that was, you know, in the hundreds of millions of revenue, writing off 50,000 was, was not a big deal, except it did ruin my record of never having a lost year. So uh, we were able to run this company for 36 out of 37 years profitably. What do you think set you guys apart from the other companies in your industry to make it uh, 36 out of 37 years profitable? Well, uh, we wanted to run a profitable business. We, so we started the company with, well, again, bank debt required us to do that, but we wanted to run a company that was profitable. Uh, so that was a goal. In other words, that was kind of one of the missions of the company was run a profitable business. That's a good goal. Uh, yeah. Well, real companies make money. Uh, I know there's some of these large unicorns. They're worth a lot of money. It means that the, the stock market has, has given them huge valuations, but they don't make any money. You know, Tesla and, and, and Uber and, and, and Lyft and these companies don't make money, but, but they got huge market valuations. So to me, uh, you know, just because you're worth a lot of money doesn't mean you really have intrinsic value because to be an ongoing business, you have to be profitable. Uh, and you just can't keep borrowing money or, or bridging your, your business with, with debt to, to stay alive. Uh, so um, the, uh, the companies that, that I think are real companies do make money. They're profitable uh, because that's how you sustain yourself. Can you imagine running your household um, uh, if your money, you, your income was, was less than your, what you were spending? Uh, you know, that's what, what we call debt, credit card debt, you know, and, uh, or student debt. You know, any, uh, any of these things that, that, that make you less valuable is when you are actually are spending more money than you're making. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine you saw a lot of change in Silicon Valley from 78 to, you know, today, actually. Um, what was it like for you seeing all that? And you're in the, in the middle of the tech industry, you know, what was that like? Was that an ex exciting to see, you know, Silicon Valley go from where it was to, to the behemoth that it is today? Well, yeah, that's, it's interesting. Uh, the name Silicon Valley didn't really come into existence until I believe 1967 or 68, something like that, which was, you know, I'd already been in the industry since 63. So we weren't known as Silicon Valley. We were really just kind of a emerging industry. And uh, so <clears throat> uh, Silicon Valley uh, really isn't uh, uh, Silicon anymore because most of the semiconductor companies have moved out of the Bay Area, primarily due to environmental and cost issues, uh, they've they've no longer they're no longer manufacturing, uh, at least in, in large part they're not manufacturing in Silicon Valley. So uh, the companies like um, Hewlett Packard or or um, uh, Uber, uh, uh, um, Pinterest and uh, Zoom and and uh, some of these other uh, Oracle. Uh, Facebook, Google, these are not really semiconductor companies. These are, or Apple, Apple being the biggest, 
they're really not semiconductor companies. They're, they're, they're hardware companies or software. Uh, and so what has made all of these other industries possible is our semiconductors. And, and so that's how its name is still stuck to this day is because the, the, the birthplace of, of, um, of Silicon Valley really became from the semiconductor companies, which my company was one of them. Uh, and uh, it is exciting to be there. I mean, you know, you, you've got a, uh, a lot of good educational institutions that are in, in the Valley uh, and that it attracts a lot of great talent. Uh, and and so, uh, I think it's that quality of the talent. The you know the 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 big uh, venture capitalists are there, the big banks are there, in, in Silicon Valley, uh, and that just makes it all possible. So, uh, it, it's it's exciting. It is it's still exciting to this day, to see what the semiconductor industry has been able to help and accomplish for uh, for the world. Ray, have you heard that old quote that? Um the people that made money in the gold rush were not the gold miners, but the people that made sold the, the picks and the shovels and the, the, the tools for the gold miners. <laughs> that's right. And that's what the semiconductor industry is. It's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pick and shovel for the rest of these companies. Yeah. Without semiconductors, none of these uh, industries would even be possible. That piece of the piece of equipment that I, that I developed called the wafer stepper without it, we wouldn't have, these uh, these massive uh, capable computers uh, and and um, uh, um, uh, systems that allow us to do some of these wonderful things that, that are done now by Google, Facebook, and others um, because of the ho the horsepower that uh, that the piece of equipment that I de designed and and invented uh, allows our industry to to build. It's got to feel feel really good to know that you. I mean, because of what you've you have invented it has changed the lives of so many people and continuing to change their lives and and absolutely led to a technological revolution you know it's interesting uh, chris you, you know i try not to to puff myself up uh you know it, it's, it's 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 easy not to be humble okay but i try to be humble i try not to look upon the the things that I have done as, as being extraordinary, even though the, maybe they are extraordinary. It's just that it's just really uh, I'm I'm just an an average person. Eat breakfast like everybody else does, and gets up in the morning and brushes my teeth and exercises, and I just do the things like everybody else does. It, it's just that I was fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time to be able to be creative. And so it's the environment that you're in, whether you're a, a, a little pygmy in, in the rainforests of, of, of the Congo or, or whether you're, uh, you know, a, a, an industry giant in, in Silicon Valley, you're still a person and, and you have worth and you have value. Uh, and, uh, you know, is a, is a pygmy in, in the Congo any less, or a bushman in Africa is any less than, than, than a uh, CEO? No, they're they're the same. They have families. They have desires. They have uh, aspirations like like everybody else. And as as one of God's creations, they should be treated equally and, and fairly. Even though they may not have the money or the 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 influence that that the CEO has, 
they still have they still contribute they're still part of the whole ecosystem of this planet yeah absolutely did you did you do you think you got that mentality from growing up on a cattle ranch because i grew up uh, around a lot of farmers and ranchers and you know they're humble people because they know hard work right i agree i agree with you chris i there's no doubt that that my upbringing had a lot to do with how i conducted business uh, you know, you know, as I said, I was in the right place at the right time. I, I grew up with a large family. You know, I wasn't just a single child. I had 10 brothers and sisters, um, that I had to shepherd and help and, and, and educate, uh, and mentor. Uh, and even to, to this day, I, I help mentor my, 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 uh, siblings. Uh, so yeah, that contributed, uh, uh being a mentor, I think through my life, has, has, has helped me, um, having to work on the ranch and, and do physical labor and, and work with people who, you know, were less uh, capable or fortunate than financially than, than we were, um, that, that helped me understand them uh, working side by side with, uh, uh, some of our Mexican laborers, um, learned to speak the, the, the language with them and, and, and work side by side with them. It definitely helped me out learning their culture. Uh, learning to be able to 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 recognize the the worth of, of individuals, uh, I think, uh, helped me uh, uh, have the the low retention, uh, the low low turnover problem that most companies face in our industry. For example, our company uh, had half the turnover of of our competitors, uh, and and that just meant that people enjoyed working at the company. We call them, uh, you know, boomerangs when they left and come back. So half the people left our company came back, uh, and and so uh, they just said, well, nothing's like working at Mike Krauss. So they came back and and uh, and worked at at the, at the company, even though they saw maybe a better opportunity somewhere else. It turned out not to be as good as they had at the company, and so that I think it's that whole atmosphere of of um, the idea of, of, of treating each other equally, making them feel like they're part of a family uh, as opposed to just a, a, a number or an employee really, I think, helped our company um, uh, become what it, what it did, what it has. I'm curious, Ray, how, how when you were working, um, you know, you're a CEO, you're in Silicon Valley, you're a family man, you've got 10 siblings, you've got probably gobs of friends. You've got a lot going on. Uh, how do you prioritize your time or how did you when you were, uh, when you were working? Well, um, I've been married 58 years. Uh, I have 22 grandchildren. I have four children, 22 grandchildren and eight great grandchildren. Uh, and, um, so family is extremely important and, you know, it's, it's a matter of, of how you view your life. In other words, what, what is, why are you working? Uh, most of us work to provide for our families. And, and I'm, I'm one of them. I mean, I, I wanted to provide a living for my family. My family was the heart of, of, of my responsibility um, and, and working. Uh, and all the listeners that are listening to this podcast, they're providing for their family. So family has to be the, the focus of um, why you're working. And, and so I, I made sure that, that I did not uh, um, 
vacate my family and in and, and lieu of my work. Um, I also believe, by the way, that uh, uh, if you read my book, Tough Things First, uh, I teach in there that uh, uh, if you do the tough things every morning, uh, when you get up, get, get the hard things out of, out of the way, uh, then your day becomes more efficient. In other words, you get more done. And I tell people that, you know, if you do the tough things first, you'll get 20% more done than you would if you, if you didn't. Uh, so you increase your efficiency tremendously by, by prioritizing those tough things, getting them out of the way, and then, and then the, the rest of the day goes, goes easier. Uh, and so uh, I was able to work as a CEO uh, uh, only five days a week as opposed to seven. Uh, uh, working 10 hours a day rather than 12 or 14 uh, and, uh, and and that made me effective as a CEO as well as a father and a, and a, and a husband um, and and that's the, the way I did it because I didn't deprioritize my family just because I ran a company there's this old there's a I've got another quote but maybe it's a statistic that I've heard that that the average CEO reads 52 books per year so I'm curious do you, based on your experience Ray is that accurate Well I don't think they read 52 books I mean they may look <laughs> at 52 books but I'm not sure they read them I mean there's a difference between looking at a book and reading a book reading a book is when you you're absorbed when you actually learn from the material you're reading uh, as opposed just to saying, well, I looked at it. I looked at the book, meaning I scanned it and, and, and then they moved on. Um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a, we call drive by readers. You know, they just, they just uh, say they read it, but they really didn't. If you ask them what, what they learned from the book, they, I bet you half of them couldn't tell you what they learned. Yeah. When you guys were going through your IPO and releasing, uh, micro to the world, you actually went legally blind. What happened there? Well, I had a, a retina vein occlusion uh, in, a, in, in my eye, which blocked the blood flow for a period, and that caused some damage to my retina and uh, caused me to go, go blind, uh, legally blind. I, mean, I can still see. I just don't see clearly. I can't read regular print. I have to use a magnifier and other uh, uh, visual enhancements in order to be able to, to see um, but you adapt. I mean, it was, it was devastating at first and didn't know if I could even run the company after going blind. Um, but, um, upon reflection and, and looking at what, how, how I would be affecting my people, um, I decided to stay on and, and so I ran it for, for another, uh, I don't know, 18, not 20 years, uh, after, you know, well, 18 years, I guess, after going blind. Uh, and so, you know, I've having gone blind in 94, I've, that's almost two thirds, a uh, third of the time that I've been living on earth, I've, I've had a vision problem. So, but I have not let that uh, stop me. Was it, was it, uh, I'm sure it was challenge, challenging for you for this to happen when you guys were going through your IPO. Um, did it cause any hiccups in the business? And, and if it did, like, how did you handle that? Well, uh, that's, that's a good uh, segue into a, another topic, uh, Chris. You know, there's a difference between being handicapped uh, and being disabled. Um, so um, what do you think the difference is between being handicapped and disabled, Chris? Just we'll use that as a segue into another subject. 
Yeah, I, I suppose. Well, I, I imagine, you know, it depends how you define them, but, you know, disabled maybe is um, uh, something that you would consider permanent and then handicapped is just something that uh, you work with and you learn how to use the assets that you have, even though you have that challenge. So, you know, uh, Helen Keller was deaf, di- deaf, blind, and uh, uh, and was a- wasn't able to speak. What well, they call it, dumb, but I guess deaf, dumb, and blind. Uh, but she was very successful as a writer and, and as a teacher. Uh, and so uh, she was disabled, but she was not handicapped. Uh, so when, when you're handicapped, that means you, you have a limitation. Uh, and, and so you're letting your disability uh, prevent you handicap you uh and 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 doing your whatever function you want to perform uh so um uh you know i uh was disabled because of my vision problem but i was not handicapped because it didn't let my my lack of vision stop me from doing my job now if i were a dentist uh and you know that would be a real challenge or, or or surgeon if I lost my eyesight, um, uh, I, you know, I, I'd have to think long and hard how I'd overcome that disability. I have a friend that um, uh, graduated uh, at tops of his class at Stanford in law, uh, and he was totally blind, completely blind. Uh, and uh, and so I thought, wow, how how can you be a lawyer and be completely blind? Well, he is. He's very successful. He's a major law firm down in L.A. And, and he does quite well, and he's totally blind. Uh, and uh, he's not just a regular lawyer, he's a litigator. It means he's, he gets up and litigates the, the cases in front of the court. Uh, so, uh, you know, your disability only becomes a handicap when you let it. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I often look at, at people who are disabled and, and they do miraculous things uh, like uh, uh, um, that, uh, oh my gosh, that well-known physicist, uh, I'm trying to remember his name now, uh, Stephen Hawking, right. Uh, here's here's a, a man who can't speak, you know, he's, 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 he's a quadriplegic, uh, and, and look, at, look at what he's accomplished. I mean... You know, I mean, you know, he was definitely disabled, but he was not handicapped because you couldn't shut his brain off. You couldn't couldn't stop him from 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 contributing. So and by all measures, uh, 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 Stephen Hawking shouldn't shouldn't even have accomplished anything based on his handicap or his disabled disability. But he but he did it. Yeah, he he passed away, I think, uh, not too long ago, but he still. Look what he, he didn't give up. I mean, he, he persevered and, and, and he didn't, uh, didn't just uh, become a vegetable. That's amazing. That, that type of mindset is absolutely unbelievable. I wonder, is there, it's amazing that people can have their, their disabilities and not let them drag them down and continue to achieve amazing things and believe in themselves and inspire people. I wonder like, um, 
where do you think you got that mindset from Ray when it comes to, oh, okay, I'm, I'm legally blind now. We're going through this IPO. I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm still going to go like, where did, where does that fire or ambition come from, from you? Well, it's part of who you are. Uh, you know, you have to decide as an individual, whether you're going to be a contributor or be a, what they call a giver or a taker, as you would. Uh, and so the takers are the ones that, that just take. They don't give away. They don't give back. Uh, but, you know, if you want to be a contributor, if you want to be a giver, then you'll, you'll get there. Um, uh, I can remember that story told about Jerry Rice, you know, who's a very capable um, a football player for the 49ers. Uh, uh, he was very talented, very, he had a lot of ability, but he didn't just stop there. He worked at least eight to 10 hours more a week than, than the rest of his fellow, uh, uh, players. Uh, and, and so he, he wanted to excel, not just be good. He wanted to excel, you know, they call it, you know, good, better, best, you know, he, he, he wanted to be just the best. Uh, and so you have to decide as an individual whether you want to be good, better, or the best. And, and so uh, that's, that's a choice that I made early on in my life, um, whether it be in sports or in school or whatever. I wanted to be the best. And I didn't want to be just good. And so, you know, when I wrote my book, Tough Things First, I didn't want to be just a good book. I want to be the best book. Uh, and I, I just got a, uh, an email from a fellow who is a one of the corporate um, um, officers at uh, at Intel, saying that this book now sits right next to to uh, Andy Grove's book, uh, which is only the paranoid survived. So, you know, that that was a real recommendation that I think about, you know, because Andy Grove is a very uh, uh, well known individual and very accomplished uh, individual. Uh, and, uh, and to be right next to him, to me, ranks me as one of the best to be considered as, as, as good as Andy Grove. So, um, you know, that, that, that's what I want to be. I, I just, it's a, it's a desire you have to have. That's got to be a goal to be the best. Uh, you're not going to influence somebody if you're just good, but it's, it's the people who are the best are the ones that are the, are the influencers. I imagine, though, that when you're referring to the best, you obviously it comes to down to business and, and mindset and, you know, your own personal achievements. But also, does that overflow into other areas of your life? You want to be the best father, grandfather, great grandfather. Exactly. Husband? Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Exactly. You don't want to be just the best at, uh, at business. You want to be the best at, at, at a, as a citizen. Um, you know, your the way you take care of your property, your your you know, the way you dress, the way you take care of your body, the way you exercise, the way you look. Uh, you know, you want to be the best uh that you can be. You know, we're all you know born with, with certain abilities. Uh we're not all born exactly the same, but you want to be the best with those talents that you that you're gifted with. Um, so that's that's exactly right. It, you want to be the best all around, not just a good CEO. 
Excellent. We can overlap that and, and segue into more of a discussion on influence. I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of this. There's a lot of people out there that, that I call sloppy influencers, you know, they'll <clears throat> get a bunch of influence from social media or from media in general and use that influence and negative ways and destructive ways and and or to promote things they don't even fully understand and then it leads to uh, a domino effect of some you know drama or craziness Uh, and you've gotten an incredible amount of influence from being the best in your industry for 37 years well over 37 years now um, in a major area of technology that has a significant, significantly strong impact uh, on the world. So I'm curious, Ray, you talk about, um, I know you talk about integrity and leadership. Um, what are some ways that you stay aware of your influence and the results that you're creating throughout um, your actions and your business and your day-to-day life? Okay, so um, you hit on, a, on an interesting point. Uh, some people become famous uh, in the wrong way. Uh, you know, like that uh, Smollett, Smollett, I think his name is Jesse Smollett. You know, the, the guy that uh, uh, claimed that he was beat up uh, in Chicago and he was a, had a good job. He was quite well-known and, and on a TV program. Um, and, uh, and so, but he, he, he didn't use his, he was not a good influencer because he wanted to be famous, but he, he did it in the wrong way. In other words, by be, like, like John Dillinger or, or Hitler or somebody like that, you know, they be, they're famous, but what, what, how are they going to be remembered? What good, what good did they do? How did they better mankind? So, uh, you know, you don't have to be a, a famous person to be an influencer. Um, you can be an influencer by just being a good neighbor, by being a good uh, uh, an employee, um, or or a good uh, uh, father. Um, in fact, you'll you'll probably do more good there than you will anywhere else because you're influencing the next generation. So um, don't worry about being famous. Uh, being famous it, it doesn't doesn't mean you're an influencer um, uh, because look. Look at Hitler and look at the influence that he had. Uh, is that is that how you want to be known? He was famous, uh, one of, probably one of the most famous people that ever lived. But what is he known for? What 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 is he famous for? Uh, you know, killing six million people. I mean, who wants to be known for that? Uh, you know, so famous is is uh, infamous probably, but not famous. You know, uh, I have never wanted to be in the in the limelight. Never wanted to be on the uh, you know in the in the public eye. Um, you know, I've had people say, "Why don't you run for president?" And I said, "Well, uh, I think I can do more good as a good father and a husband, and and running my company." And and uh, and I said, "You know," so uh, I said, "I don't think I'm the the kind of material that could get voted in as you would." I I'm I'm too too much focused on other things that are that that the industry that the world is not particularly focused on. Don't don't worry about whether you're famous. Just worry about whether you're a good person and and whether you're you're contributing to society. I think that's uh, invaluable advice, Ray. 
<clears throat> I'm going to wrap it up there, my friend. I, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you guys have going on, where's the best place they could do that at? We have a website called toughthingsfirst.com. So it's our, our uh, website. Uh, we'd invite everybody to, to visit it. We have podcasts there. We have uh, tips and, and, and tricks, as you would, to, that they can learn from. Uh, we post uh, tips and tricks uh, uh, every day. Uh, we do podcasts once a week. Uh, and um, uh, they can just learn more about how to be a good uh, influencer and entrepreneur by going to our website, toughthingsfirst.com. And do you want to, uh, we didn't get into it too much, but do you want to mention something about Zen Starters um, before we go? Well, I did. I talked about a little bit, uh, Chris. It's, it's a, a university program to, to help uh, entrepreneur programs at the universities uh, launch uh, uh, little companies uh, and learn how to run a company while they're still in school. And, and we help fund that. And, and so uh, that's available to, to qualified universities that uh, have entrepreneur programs that my uh, that we fund as as uh, individuals uh, and help them um, uh, get their company up and running. That sounds like a great program, um, Ray. Again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us, and uh, we just really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Chris. Thanks. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.